The Daily Talk Show, episode 607. And we've got Jody Imam in the building. What's going on, Jody? Welcome. Well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, exciting. The, uh, so you created Depot 8, yes. which is um, a co-working space essentially, right? Yes, that's right. The big question is, do you have biscuits on tap? No. <laughs> Bring I mean, your own biscuits. No, it's a good thing. Biscuits. It's a good thing. It's sustainable. We, we know what happens if you uh, well, offer too that's many right. biscuits. Yeah. It's an we, absolute trap. Yeah. Although today we did have our regular coffee and brownies. So, oh, yeah. all right. You got some goods. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. We've got to limit them. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it feels like um, co-working spaces, It's it's been a trend, like say in the last three years, and then with everything that happened with WeWork, it seems like it's sort of muddied the whole industry, what people perceive. It used to be this sort of fun community thing. But in how, saying that, yeah, in saying that, you've had it for yeah. a while. Yeah. So how did it years. start? Yeah, it's interesting because we saw this trend in the US, co-working, taking off, 2,000 spaces opening in the US at that, in that year in 2012 and thought, oh, that's brilliant. What a great way to work. And, you know, we there was a warehouse right near our, our house and so we're like, oh, fantastic. Let's make it into a co-working space. And then we started advertising co-working and getting no hits, like, at all. So we actually had to go back and start calling it shared office because people weren't looking for co-working. Yeah. And now it feels like we need to go back and call it a shared office because it's not the beer on tap, it's not the Friday drinks, it's not the lunchtime yoga, it's not it's, – we don't have all of that. We just have people who want to come and share an office and work together and get the job done. Well, yeah, because what, the beer and the yoga and the biscuits and – it what, it did a good job at the PR around sort of getting people into these spaces, but yep. doesn't necessarily equate to a good business model. Is that well? I just don't think it's for everyone. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of our members are, are, I think, naturally our age. They've got families. They just want to get their work done. They've got clients. It's not a startup. It's a business. They've got customers they need to mm. produce work for, and then they want to get home with their families. So they don't really. Want the rah-rah? Oh, okay. It's not for everyone. The rah-rah is not for everyone. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I'm definitely, well, that's what you were speaking my language when you describe it because it feels like with the rah-rah other things happen. Like I could only imagine the amount of sort of people that go through the door some of, of some of these co-working spaces because they go in with it like they've got their startup T-shirts and they've got the, everything that they like. They've got the uh, the business card that says they're a co-founder and they tick all these boxes mm. but they don't actually have a sustainable business and they end up sort of leaving. Have you noticed that by setting up uh, Depot 8 the way you have that it, it's, it is a different type? Yeah, well, I guess it wasn't deliberate. We really were – it was kind of a panic decision to open it in the first place because we were already had a business and we we're like oh my god this thing's gonna take a while to make money let's do something else that makes money hopefully quicker so we, weren't, we didn't really overanalyze the whole purpose of it <laughs> and then we just we didn't try to make it it's for this type of person or that type it was for anyone anyone who who wanted to come in so naturally that i guess you just that law of attraction you know people that are similar to us have naturally been attracted to the space and and so we're a similar kind of demographic and, yeah, as I said, small businesses getting work done as opposed to start-up mm. with, yeah. We've had start-ups but, yeah, they don't last long because yeah. it's hard to pay the rent when you've I, got no customers. I love that um, when you've got you've created a business, which I want to talk to you about, um, but at the same time you're thinking it's not going to 
be a while before we make money. Let's create another business. Yes. <laughs> it seems most people would be like, oh, I should go get a job <laughs> to just work, not create. Yes. I mean, that's that's yeah. true entrepreneurial spirit, I think. And you've sta- yeah. you started it with your husband. Yeah, that's right. Which yeah. is, a you know, working relationships with your partners is another yeah. thing in itself. Yeah. Well, um, we were too far gone. We'd already, we'd already <laughs> jumped off the cliff. So we'd sold the house, quit our job. So... We were already, you know, needed to be in the, the business that we were building. Yeah. So we didn't want, we couldn't, a job wasn't really an option. Mm. And, yeah, I guess we still had some cash to burn. So, What, what inspired you to, to make that leap and to do your own thing? I think I always wanted to do my own thing from, from very early on. So um, it was the catalyst for the real change was having babies. So I'd had one baby already and was the general manager for Leona Edmiston, which was a fast-growing retail fashion business, and it was my baby up until that point. So then juggling a real baby and the baby that I, you know, created over the 10 years together with Jeremy and Leona was a bit much. And then Which one was more demanding? The real life one or the – it's all almost real life as well. No, definitely the business was still more demanding. <laughs> um, but then uh, I fell pregnant again and knew by that stage there's no way I could have a toddler, a ba- real baby and then the business. So I couldn't do justice yeah. to any of it. And that's when – that was the catalyst to say, okay, let's create something on our own that we've got the true flexibility to, to run around the family. And, and so that, that was occasional butler? Yeah. Um, I love that name. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of those ones where it's like the, we saw stuff happening, like Task Rabbit in the US. How much? And you talk about the um, the co-working spaces and seeing it happening. Were you spending time in the US? Were you seeing all these things? No, really. And I admire people who do the side hustle and still keep the job. I just couldn't do it. I just was too tired at the end of the day to start mm. working on something else. And so for us, we just quit everything. Literally packed up, sold the house, quit everything. And then did well on the sale, went to Bali and just sat there with a blank piece of paper and a margarita and, uh, (laughs) you know, tried to figure out just literally blank piece of paper writing down all sorts of ideas of what we might want to do as a business. And then we got back um, and moved to Melbourne. So we were in Sydney before that. And I was pregnant. So we had this looming deadline. I knew I was having a cesarean. So we knew when the baby was coming and we decided by the time of that date, whoever had the best business plan on an idea, that's what we're going to go with. Oh, wow. How many ideas were thrown around? Oh, I was about six, six from all sorts of things. There was um, oh, there was like a food truck one of Turkish um, Guzlamir kind of things. There was some fashion ideas, marketplaces for, you know, uh, vintage wear and stuff you can buy at the markets you couldn't buy online. Um, MM Jams, we had all sorts of. <laughs> God. And, and so, th- so the better ideas. business model? It was, uh, so it was between the, the fashion marketplace idea mm-hmm. and occasional butler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on, I just might move yeah, that yeah. up a little bit. Um, and so what makes a good business model on a piece of paper? Like crunching numbers and seeing them sort of go up is, a, is, mm-hmm. a, is one way, but what are you actually looking for? Well, that was, that was one of the biggest things. We had this awesome looking spreadsheet. We were going up very quickly. Um, and I think it just resonated with us because we had had a similar problem ourselves with renovating our place in Sydney. Um, we bought into an expensive suburb in a, a badly run down house and we didn't have much money left. So we were trying to fix it all um, on not much money. And that's when we had the problem of 
you know, you can't get a trade to just come and tile one wall, you know, that sort of stuff. Or they wouldn't come without a minimum call-out fee. And that's that was what we were trying to solve, that mm. problem of just getting a small job done, like just a little, little, just clean the oven. We don't, we can clean the rest sort of thing. And that's, but that's when we started to research what other trends were happening in the US. And uh, the first thing that you actually do outside of having your, your business plan was there a, a hiring someone? Is it finding a developer? What would you do? Yeah, so then we decided, okay, this this is it. Um, and what then, is that actual decision? Like, are you just high fiving with your husband? Like, <laughs> I think we got it. Or is it like, yeah, we're committing, we're buying the domain at least, or so, you know, something like that. The business name. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember exactly, but it was first it was okay. This is the deadline, and we like this. But now let's have the baby, and then we gave ourselves six weeks to recover from that and just not do too much. But I guess percolating the idea. Um, my husband came up with the name, and yeah, we would have jumped in and bought the domain pretty quickly, and then um, and then yeah, we just went into the full scoping mode. Like, who's going to build it? What's it got to look like? And my husband's project manager. Uh, in telco industry, so very sort of technical, not coding, but technical background and very like over-engineers everything. So had every single possible scenario that could happen all scoped out and then, yeah, it was the search for looking for who could develop it for us. Mm. Did you have people around you that you could actually bounce ideas Mm. off? Oh, we asked a few mates um, and when they sort of looked at our business plan and looked at the idea and spoke to us and said, oh, we don't really, don't think so. We were like, okay, that's enough from you then. <laughs> Are you, I mean, yeah, because you <laughs> so could also. So we didn't really take on advice. And, yeah, because you could look for people that are positive about the idea, which is not necessarily what you need or are you, with an idea, are you looking to get some stimulus, whether it's, I don't think it is, and you're like, okay, great, that someone doesn't like it or and then finding someone that does. Is that what your aim is when you have a business model on paper that you actually want to show it to people or? Well, in hindsight, it should be potential customers. Like who is going to actually use this? But we, we, we learned the hard way. But in hindsight, you definitely would go and talk to potential customers and lots of them to see mm. if they would use it and if so, how. And so you're talking off air about just that and maybe uh, building something and hoping that people would come. When was the first sign that you realised, hang on, maybe maybe we've missed the mark? Um, so probably it took us three months to scope, six months to build. Then we um, we had hired someone, a market, part-time marketing assistant. We'd done all this sort of pre-marketing before it was ready. We had Facebook going and then we announced it on Facebook and we got our first job posted in the first hour of going live and the job was buy a packet of Doritos, eat it and take a photo. I mean, you'll take the transaction <laughs> if that's what yeah. people are wanting. And did you could you see where this was coming from oh, on the back end? Like, I was just I was just pacing around the lounge, around the kitchen, just what the hell? You know, we're trying to build something here to help young families. Yeah. What the hell is this? Like, and um, what was? It? Were there a lot of those transactions after that? Like, did you have to? Start to create policies so you just well, didn't have so lots of photos of feet. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> Could well have been my a good husband was yeah. actually a bit more calm and started researching in the back end and found out that that, that job was posted by the user testing guide at Tasker. 
Ah. Yeah, so we we dutifully went and did the job and then found out we had a bug in the payment system and we couldn't actually process the $5 that was put up <laughs> for the job. <laughs> yeah, and then um, yeah, after that we didn't have a job for months. Like it was really, really terrible. Oh, wow. Yeah, because we really hadn't built anything in except for the tech, anything, you know, as far as a community. And so was there a point where it did change? And, yeah. And and what was that feeling like? I bet you it's great. I bet you celebrated <laughs> with Doritos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it took a long time and it was stressful as anything. And we're trying every single type of thing. And we'd hired this marketing assistant who came from a political background. So she had us out on the street handing out lollies and postcards. We had a um, mascot, you know. We're trying yeah, to doing public of, debates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um but then eventually it was a case of really make or break. Like mm-hmm. If we didn't get this thing happening, we we're going to have to give up on it. And so it was just it was just looking for anything that would get it going. And in the end it was Gumtree. So I started posting jobs for butlers on Gumtree and then they started coming across in hundreds, like just heaps and heaps of butlers signing up. And then eventually the butlers started becoming customers. So one butler would build a trampoline and then post a job to have a waiter at, at their party. And so... Then I realised, well, actually, if the butlers uh, who've come from Gumtree are customers, then potentially the customers would come from Gumtree as well. So then I started posting jobs for, for customers on Gumtree and they started coming in droves and then uh, Gumtree kicked us off. Oh, oh did no. they? Did and what, what's that moment like? <laughs> I mean, was it violating their services? Or well, effectively service? moving one marketplace to another. That's <laughs> no, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's cheeky, but it's yeah, brilliant. It makes a lot of sense. Did you have revenue goals at, at this point? Yes, which we were nowhere near hitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, what, what did it look like? Were you looking at, say, um, how many transactions were happening through the yeah, site? Yeah, so I think I had, you know, it was just on a, because a small percentage of a small transaction, so I had this beautiful looking spreadsheet, but we, we were having to hit like 100 transactions a day by the second week kind of thing and <laughs> we were still mm. at zero. So, yeah, that was, that took a lot of re-expectation setting. What is it, what's your sort of view on setting these, I mean, things like 200, 100 in the first couple of weeks? Like, did you know that that was kind of if crazy? It's all made up. <laughs> because you've made, because you have made <laughs> that it up. Crazy, That's yeah, all projections yeah. are really made uh, up. We we said, okay, we, if we're going to invest all this, take the risk, quit our jobs. You know, in five years' time, when we sell this thing, we want it to be worth X, mm-hmm. and then we worked back from there. And so it's okay. the user was you in the regards, to like you're solving your problem, which is yeah. like we want to make X amount of cash. <laughs> Do you reckon part of it is like you're also very early within the Australian market? Oh, that's right, yeah. What what have you learned about um, timing? Yeah, I mean, I think we were both with Defoe and Occasional Butler a bit ahead of the curve as far as there weren't marketplaces. Co-working was brand new. Um, there's advantages in that you can be established when it's when the demand does come, mm-hmm. but then it's just. The disadvantage is you have so much education that you have to do. Like we were having to educate people. We didn't realise this, that we would have to educate people to trust their neighbours to do jobs. Like they would trust Jim's Mm. mowing but they wouldn't trust someone down the road and we didn't realise that that would be such a big behavioural change that we'd have to overcome and that education piece is huge. Mm. It's pre-Uber. Like even when you think when when Uber first started and people sort of hesitation around getting into yeah. into that. Did you look at pivoting the business, you know, when it wasn't working or you, you weren't having jobs? Is that a moment where you're like, 
shit, we need to shift this in some respect. Like we need to move direction. Not still not, no. Still no. very we're so naive. Like we just we're just so headstrong that we had to make it work. Um but down the track then you know, but we had a steady flow of jobs before we then thought, well actually we're not gonna be able to do this on our own steam forever. We're gonna to have to raise some money. And so that's when we um really started to be more analytical about it and where we were and start to talk about pivots and all the different options. How do you ask for money? <laughs> um, again, some, a way, I'd, you know, we did it all the wrong way. We went to an advisory firm who said that they would go and ask for the money for us. And I was like, oh, phew, good. I don't want to go and yeah. ask for the money. <laughs> Perfect. So we paid them a lot of money to go and ask for the money, but they didn't in the end. So. How did they ask you for the money? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty directly. Give me yeah. the money, I'll go ask for money yeah. and then we'll be good. Yeah, that's so, right. so things like um, investors and equity, uh, when it's you and your husband, it's one thing, getting other people involved. Do you have to change the business, like the company structure, much to actually allow for that type of thing? Yeah, well, then, again, I had no idea. Like when you sign, when you start a company, you have a registration and there's two shares. We had one each worth 10 bucks mm-hmm. each. And then all of a sudden when you want to raise capital, magically you can dilute those shares and 700,000 shares appear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and, and so after a, the advisor stuff, did you actually pursue it? Or, or did that end up being put to the side? So one of the strategies from this advisor was to appoint a board and the board members would become investors. And so they knew that. And so um, we advertised for board positions and it was amazing actually. We had some amazing people want to be on our board for no pay and potentially give us money. Gumtree? Did you advertise <laughs> on there? Or was on, on, on the platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was three no, there was, um, <laughs> there was the AICD um, uh, website as well as women mm-hmm. on boards. But, yeah. yeah. And so you um, put out this uh, request and how many people put their hand up? We had 100 people apply. Right. That yeah. was – how many butlers did you have? <laughs> <laughs> if you could convert them to butlers. That's right. <laughs> business is good. And so 100 people putting their hand up to give you money or 100 people – to be on the board, yeah. 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 With no money exchange yet. That's right. And so – and then did you fill it – did you fill the yeah, board so with those well, people? Yeah, we did, yeah. We, we chose three, yeah, and so that was, yeah, that was good by that point. We, we had a steady flow of business and we're growing and we'd, we'd built a community and it was now what do we do to really scale it and to raise capital, so, yeah. And so when a business is just getting started, you have the projections of where you think it's going to go, but then when it comes to actually defining what equity within the business is worth, like if, you know, X percentage or whatever, how did you come up with a number like when you're speaking with say the uh the board and you're um, trying to get buy-in is there a conversation at that point of like your percentage right now is worth x based on this valuation yeah i mean typically how it happened for us is in the end because we were so early and it was very hard to value we just decided to make it more of an advisory role than a formal board so um it was it was they had all agreed that let's get it to a point where we can value it and then we can decide the shares. And then so getting to evaluation because, I mean, you hear of businesses like Uber that are worth X amount of dollars but they're also in a billion dollars debt or whatever it is. crazy but it seems counterintuitive to value something high price when it doesn't have 
any profits yeah, ever who been values made. it, I guess. Mm. Yeah, is there mm. someone ticking it off or do you just send it to the butlers? And <laughs> give it a number. It's like a black art valuation. It's, yeah, there are models that you can follow but it's really, um, yeah, it's based on opportunity but also, of course, a business that already has cash flows and some historical, it's much more easy to value and that's why you do see these huge valuations and then the business goes bust or whatever mm. um, it's because it is based on future opportunity. And so you gave it a valuation based on the performance it had done or? A little bit, but much more about the projections. The projection, yeah. the, the industry, the cap on the, yeah. the industry. Yeah, that's right. Any comparable sales, that sort of stuff is the way, another way. Yeah. What's the, now being on the other side and looking at investment, Yeah. what's the first question that you ask a potential startup that you you might invest in? Um, so I guess for me it's... Will you eat this pack of Doritos? If you don't take the photo, you yeah, the money the probably photo. won't come through. <laughs> uh, um, I don't think it's that instant for me. Like I like to get to know a founder or get to know the business um, before I would even talk about money. Like it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I think... 50% of the equation with a, with a startup is the founder and their tenacity and their drive and their purpose and why they're doing it and that sort of thing first. Um, the, the Dorito thing and the mentioning Airtasker because Airtasker ended up buying yeah. your business. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty crazy <laughs> that that was the first job mm-hmm. from yeah, someone yeah, inside. Full circle. So yeah. had they built Airtasker or was this early Yeah, days? they launched just after us, like the next week. Really? Yeah. And so – what was, it was the, probably the founder, right? Like, if, yeah, who, what, yeah, who Tim was Fong. it? Yeah, it was Tim. No, there was a user testing guy. They did launch with, they'd already raised one and a half million dollars before they launched. So, oh, wow. Yeah, they could afford a user testing guy. Yeah. Okay. What did it, um, what did it tell you when you saw them launch, you know, a week or two later? Did that validate that you could be on something or did that scare Well, scare we weren't you? very wise back then and so that scared us a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God, no, because we were going to be the task rabbit of Australia <laughs> and then there was another one. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> But it is a validation, definitely, because especially the education that you have to do with something so new. If there are other people doing the education as well, then it, it's easier. At the sale of a business, you know, something that is your baby, I mean, you, you've got – did you have three at that time? or Two. So you got two. You got three babies essentially. Mm. One's the business. Two of the actually three. You got your husband and <laughs> two babies. You know how it is. Um, what's that like? Parting with a baby? Yeah, it's emotional. <laughs> yeah, selling a baby. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't get rid of Bodie. I I, no, yeah, no it's price. Not quite the same. No. It's not quite the same as that. <laughs> um, yeah, emotional, but it was a good outcome. And it's and you're just weighing out. What if we if, if we do? It'll be we get this. If we don't, we might get this. Or we might not. You know. Um, so. It, for us, it was, and I was pregnant with our third baby at the time, and it was really good um, outcome and good timing for us. How much do you think about the narrative of all this stuff? Because it seems like sometimes if it's not working um, and the exit doesn't have to be that, like just an exit where you come out unscathed is, <laughs> yeah, a, good, is, right. is a good exit. How much pressure is there when you're selling a business to try and create this narrative or even the the um, external perspective that, oh, if you sell, you must be rolling it at all? Yeah, it's a win. Yeah. Mm. Um, sorry. What, I so, like, I guess the um, uh, what you felt about it at the time, did mm. it feel like a massive win mm. or, like, if you're – Viewing okay in five years' time, we want it to be worth this. Yeah, yeah. And then you're selling for 
a small percentage of whatever that potential yeah, 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 was. Yeah. yeah. How, how does how well, does that? Well, it wasn't. It, yeah, so it wasn't a euphoric. You know, we're off to Hawaii for the rest of our yeah. lives. That's for sure. But um, I think we'd, it felt back to Bali, which is great. <laughs> back to Bali. Yeah, back yeah. to Bali yeah, instead. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but it, yeah. So it was it was a, a bittersweet in a way. Like it was really good outcome. We were really happy. Um, there was a lot of press about it, and mm. and for that was one of the things for Airtasker at the time. They were about to take on another capital round of about twenty million. And some of that was from overseas and so for them, you know, it was really great for their story to be acquiring a, an established business mm. as part did of their growth. Work, did you have to work within the business we didn't, for a we didn't, we, There was the option but we didn't have to because we'd literally been mirroring each other's work. Yeah. And so <laughs> What was, did they take from it? Do you look at Airtasker now and say, oh, that's the, the – that, that button, <laughs> no, that colour No, very was, seamless. Like, yeah. yeah, all the branding and all the tech that they had already their own. So it was more the community that, that was – the value for them. Mm-hmm. And so do they do you think like are oh, they going to shut a lot of it down? They're going to like you know they're kind of just trying to get that out of the ethos to be able to Yeah, well I think that's to- yeah, I think that's a really great thing. Um we're lucky that it's grown on and become bigger and bigger and bigger and it's part of you know our vision is is being you know felt more broadly mm-hmm. than we so you know we get to see our vision continue which if if airtasker had failed it would be a bit it would be more sad than it being really successful yeah because i mean some people's businesses get bought just purely to get them out wipe of the bloody out. yeah wipe yeah. out the opponents yeah by just making it a part of the business yeah that's yeah so it gives yeah that's kind of nice you, your baby lives on yeah exactly <laughs> that's right you get to see it from afar <laughs> uh, you mentioned when looking for uh advisors or board members you went to what which organization women in oh it was australian or? industry of company directors it's mm-hmm. AIC, aicd so that's a organization that um they you can do a course to be a company to learn about being a company director and they also have job boards for looking for a position as a company director and then they have a sort of a sister um website at the time which was the women on boards which mm-hmm. is a different organization so it was positioned to us at the time as a sister organization but i think i don't know if that's just the job uh-huh. board side of it what was what was the experience especially at that time being a woman in tech was it something that you was so obvious that you could see differences or is it just your reality so you don't really know? Yeah, I guess it was, again, just that naivety and just doing our thing. And Mm -hmm. at the time we thought we were running a small business. I mean, we wanted to build tech and wanted to be global and scalable, but at the time it was a small business still. Um, And so, yeah, we sort of got thrust into this world of startups and capital raising and Mm -hmm. we just didn't, you know, know of before. Um, But women in tech is niche. Like there are not that many women in tech. And and how does that actually express itself within the industry? Do you think? Where do you notice it? Especially when, especially well now at SBE, we're supporting women growing tech businesses. It's uh, it's it's at that point where they're really looking for big capital, um, you know, injections, and that's where it's noticeable that it's harder to be a woman in tech mm-hmm. when you're raising capital. Where do you find that, say, an uh, organisation that's specifically looking looking after women in that space, where do they need more assistance? Where, where's the area that you find that the, whether it's sort of um, – is it in asking for the cash? Is it in – like where does it sort of fit? Oh, it's just the unconscious bias that they, they experience. Mm. So it's – 
I mean, at SBE we have a support network of, you know, women and all, and men supporting these women who have got amazing businesses and incredible drive, but they still are up against this unconscious bias when it comes to asking for money. Do you think that there was there un- unconscious things that you had felt throughout the process that you now realise was being part of that system? Sorry, so what, it's not at my or the woman's yeah, unconscious, yeah. it's the man. So but, but I guess like as in that also projects the other way. So yeah. in the sense of like when a system's telling you a yeah, certain yeah, thing, yeah, if, you're yeah. Seeing, yeah, if you're not seeing you're not seeing women in tech, you're not seeing that's like true. that ends up yeah, coming that's out. that's true, yeah. Um, yeah. And so did you notice that even within the space of the unconscious bias from the industry that you ended up sort of not doing a bunch of things because you don't actually well, see yeah. women doing it? Yeah, for sure. Hence getting an advisor to go and get money for me because yeah. I, yeah. Had a fear that I didn't want to be that in that room asking for that asking for the money. And so, do you think like what's been the the development or the the learning in that? Like, what could if someone um, is starting a a business right now and they're really aware of all of this stuff? Yeah. Uh, obviously, it can feel a little bit helpless because it's like, well, people need the system needs to change. People yeah. need to change. Decision <laughs> yeah. need mm. yeah. decision yeah. makers need to change. Is there anything, any learning that you've had that has empowered you through that? Yeah, absolutely. First thing is there's no one else that can ask for money for your business better to ask for it than yourself. Like no one else is going to be able to sell it as well as you. Um, and the crucial thing is to seek out mentorship for pe- from people who have done it before. And that's the, that's absolutely the game changer. If you can go and speak to a, another woman who's just raised capital or in her career has raised capital and you can talk to her and get that advice, then that's it makes a massive difference. Tommy and I talk about uh, whether co-founders should be CEOs and so whether like obviously some co-founders just assume that role because they have to at the time. Uh, where do you see, see it all fitting in regards to do you find that most co-founders make good CEOs? I think to a point. I think mostly the founder needs to do all the things at the start and drive it to a certain point but once it gets beyond – that point it starts to become more corporate if there's you know 30 plus employees and they're starting to be needing to be put in place processes and cultures and divisions and that sort of thing well that's when it's time to question am I still the right person to run this business now that it's more more of a corporate size company I mean people probably get far down the line of doing it all and being the leader and it's it gets even harder to sort of go the other way and release the control or mm. handing over the keys yes. to somebody else. Yeah. Um, I mean, being alongside your best mate, your husband in business, how how is that? What are the what are the pros and cons of being in a business with your your life partner? Well, definitely the pros are you can get home at the end of the day and and talk about the same thing and whinge about the same thing and you're in the same situation as opposed to, oh, my boss today and it's like, oh god, do I have to hear about your boss again? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and you know, oh, I've got to take the kids. I'm really sorry. I'll be back. Oh, I understand. They're my kids too. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you picked up your thing. kids, oh, yeah. they're mine. Too. That happens. <laughs> so that all that understanding and just being on the same path and you know working towards the same goal and everything's you know together. And you know, this is the person that you chose to be with that you love the most out of anyone in the world, and you get to hang out together all the time. So that's that's a really great thing. Mm. Um, on the con side, I think it's. I don't know, it's just 
there, I guess it's just the reverse of that. Sometimes you just don't get any space on your own. There's nothing that's yours individually. So everything is the combined and you don't have your own thing. So I guess, you know, it's important to have your own, go and play netball on a Thursday night or, you know, do mm. do other things that just give you some some individuality. How much um, in, like I, I always think about, in if you if end up in a business and you, it's you've got there by it being something that you're in love or you're passionate about or, or you just see the opportunity, but then you kind of have that step back of what does it all really mean? Like for the scheme of life and it, you know the grand scheme of you know perspective shifts of having kids or seeing what really matters. Where does that sit with you in terms of what it all means for your journey and where and where it fits? I think um, one of the main reasons that I wanted to start running my own businesses was, you know, I started in corporate and I saw a whole lot of redundancies pretty early on and, and men and women who'd been there 30 years, you know, their whole life and then suddenly redundant. It's probably now not a bad payout. Not a bad payout. <laughs> yeah. I have yeah. this redundancy dream, <laughs> which we, I think we've got a skewed perspective of redundancy, but I think like redundancy could be out like if you get paid to then start your next thing but it's being able to have the next thing. <laughs> yeah, obviously. and I think if you've been that institutionalised as well, you might yeah. not necessarily have the, what you need to do that. Yeah, bad. Yeah. Um, and they were devastated and I sort of realised, like, oh, they've worked really hard. It's, it, it, back in the day, this was telco when mobile phones were going crazy and it wasn't even bad times necessarily but they were still cutting costs and cutting out people. I just realised you can't rely on a corporate, even in the good days, they don't care ultimately about you. It's all about making money and growing the company and they don't care about each individual um, when they're big global companies. And so I thought I just never want to get to that point where I'm 50 and I'm out of a job and then what do I do? I'm stuck. Like, mm. So I just want to be able to build up my own revenue streams that would be, you know, I would never face that. It seems like mm. a unique perspective because many people – end up as employees because they think that's the safe yeah the safe option yeah w was that a challenging moment where did you think that it was a, a safe option before all those redundancies well i didn't think anything else of it like yeah. you know you go to school you go to uni they spit you out into a graduate program at the other end and you don't think about it yeah. um until i saw that and I, that made me think about it but steve Sammartino, i was watching one of his um talks the other day and he says it so well like if you know if you're a business and would, would you if I said to you you've got one customer like is that really cool you've got one customer are you happy with that yeah probably not no <laughs> and so but that's the thing with with your time if you've got one job you're dedicating your whole time to that one mm. job so it's effectively like having one customer it's pretty risky I mean you're seeing a lot of startups and and businesses pop up are you uh, are you in, inspired by What's the shift of what's happening with more smaller, you know, people doing their own thing, choosing their own path across the board versus the sort of older styled structure of the big corporate businesses employing so many people? Yeah, absolutely. There's such a shift and even it's at the school level, you know, entrepreneurship is becoming more and more a topic and, you know, for my kids I'd want them out there with their lemonade stands when they're older, as soon as they're old enough. A competition and that sort of now thing. with the lemonade stands, <laughs> yeah. your thing. That's right, that's right. And, and so the, um, uh, the school system, obviously they can add the entrepreneurial side of things, they can add these little classes how do you feel about the system in general? Well, um, that's a big question. How, how, did you do in, how did you do in school? I think um, oh, I love school. I'm a bit of a studious, yeah. nerdy type. 
<laughs> what is it, the structure? The, the It's probably the structure, yeah, yeah it probably is. Um, but I think you can't rely on the school f- um, to do everything to educate your kid. Like you, it's, it's part of it. It's only one small part of it. I don't get too stressed about what they learn at school and what they don't learn and what school they're going to be going to and all that sort of stuff because I think you can teach them just as much in external activities as they learn in school. What about homework? I used to hate homework. That, oh, I mean, my kids are still in primary school. They don't seem to do much homework. Is that a thing now? Like I think there not there pushback against homework where mm. it's like kids need time for their side hustles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, That's it. I'm all for Getting home and doing two hours of homework. Yeah. That's hard. I had yeah. the fight with my vice principal because I was doing 30 hours a week when I was doing my freelance editing and it was that – I feel like that would be a very conversation, a very common converse, conversation now with students and, and mm. teachers. The, it seems more like go and get a job. Like if you were to do, do some work and make some money outside. It's like Macca's was the big one. It's like if you had a job at Macca's, you learnt all of these other skills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would help you. That's Did right. you have any job like that growing up? Yeah, lots, yeah. What was your first ever job? Um at Australia's Wonderland in Western Sydney. What is that? It was a fun park. Oh, really? That's <laughs> yeah. it. I was going to say theme park. Had, yeah. yeah, theme park. And I was so shy. Oh, my God. I, I you know, wouldn't say boo. And a friend of mine got me this job where I'd have to welcome people as they came into the fun park. That's and the best job. I wanted that at Big W. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, so, no one ever asks. No, you know, I had to stop stand. them and ask. Oh, I had no. to get them to take a photo, pose for a photo so oh, that no. at the end of the day they could come back and buy the keychain. <laughs> <laughs> So That's that was so cool. um, character building. <laughs> I, I love the um, the people in America that do that, mm-hmm. and they're just so charismatic. Like they hire almost actors. Yeah. Yeah. Prob- they probably are in Los Angeles. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just like out of work actors. Yeah. Everything's a photo. You can get a photo. Like before you go onto Alcatraz, you get a photo in front of a green screen, and then they <laughs> yes. give you the photo of you're on Alcatraz. It's amazing. <laughs> I went to Legoland on the weekend last weekend. Have you been there with no, your kids? I haven't you sh- yet. should go, but that is like it's like a wonderland. It's well, like do you some- like Lego? Do I like Lego? Yeah. I do. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, yeah. you don't even need to like it. Like, I wouldn't say I like Lego, but there's Lego everywhere, and it's You're you can sit on in this it. little ride, and there's like it's just unbelievable. But it's sort of there was people at the front welcoming, and so you go through these sort of doors into this maze into the uh, you know party area. Yeah. It's really crazy. The um. With kids and where they're going to end up and what they're like, what the future of work looks like. Uh, obviously, what you were doing was playing into the the gig economy, and I guess now that as it's starting to happen more and more, we see some of the negative sides of it, where it's like people forgetting that they need to keep their own tax, mm. or even um, sort of the the legal issues around. Okay, is this person an employee? Is it a? Is it, are they a contractor? How much do you think that the law? society, government needs to actually evolve for where all this is going. Oh, yeah, it needs to catch up quickly. It's very slow to catch up to what's going Mm. on and that's where there is all this controversy. I think for me as well, one of the things I knew early on was that you need to learn about money and that's something schools don't teach you. And so I went and taught myself a bit more about money and I think that's a it's a, that's the most important thing. If pe- people understood more about their own money, then they'd be more equipped to manage those things. What, what was something missing for you? Do you think in the in learning about money? Uh, that you didn't well, learn, you know, I guess 
it was just really having that because knowledge is power in a way and if you f- if you have the knowledge then you have the confidence to then go and do things so i went and did a masters in financial management to learn how to t- trade on the stock exchange and learn about the way that you described things. it first is like you did like a little course one day i had a chance not <laughs> oh, yeah. and so what did you walk away with with that like what what was the biggest learning I think it's just building that confidence. Like if you've got, if you have those tools and you have the knowledge, then you have the confidence. So I've always had my own bank accounts. I've always been in control of my money. It's never been, I don't know where, where my money is. Um, and I also started trading and so started a stock portfolio and that was a good take out. How do you get started with that? Like what is, like, cause obviously like I've done the whole finance, I went to a, a financial advisor once. I thought you were going to say I read the Barefoot Investor. <laughs> no, I, did that, I did that too. <laughs> I no, did that too. I, I went to a financial advisor and it was sort of like, oh, just like a general conversation and they're like, oh, come come back in a in a few weeks or whatever and, and we'll we'll tell you what we you think we think you should do. And then they like handed over like an invoice for 800 bucks, but, <laughs> 800 bucks, but they hadn't been clear on what was going on and it was all, it felt like, I don't know what the deal is with all of this. Like, what what's the uh, commission are they making? What, like, how do I even see how these stocks are going? What's the uh, being someone who is independent, who own like really owns all of this? Where do you think we could start to do this independently? Do you think what's like if I wanted to start getting stock or starting to invest? What what would that look like? Well, there's it's uh, back then even um, there was Comsec and mm. E Trade for ANZ. Like there's tech now, so you can jump on and you can start buying shares really mm. quite easily. Is there anything you need to know? Is it like a sports bet? I've only used sports bet once. No, <laughs> is it like sports bet? <laughs> is it just like you lose? Much. You know what? No, so like because I thought about it like I was traveling like a year ago or whatever, and I was like saw a Tesla like they were. 218 or 318 yeah. or whatever it was i was like i reckon if i get in there like i think tesla's gonna be great and i do that like <laughs> passive investing which is yeah. just saying like i did the same thing in uh 2012 with apple i'm like i reckon apple's gonna be good and of course these things end up being good but yeah. unless you're yeah. actually investing what does it look like like when should when do you think personally someone should consider putting some cash down well, what I did, and I guess what I'm doing at the moment with, in the startup world is I just had a, um, a just a play a play portfolio. So you can just put set up a portfolio on one of these sites and just pretend, like to say, okay, I just bought a hundred shares, like a mock sort of mm-hmm. portfolio, and then you just watch that for a while, and then you can, you know, test your skills, I guess, before you actually put any money. Okay, I think about these things as you know, like if you want to get an amazing body like in the bodybuilding space, it's like you actually have to get really educated on how to eat food, when to eat food, the right types and training. It's just protein. But it's, the <laughs> same, but, it's, but it's the same interest level. And I've done that, right? Yeah. I got super into mm-hmm. understanding macros and, you know, all of that stuff and when, when, how much, and it worked. But I feel like you need to have a similar level of interest Yes. Because I hear Victoria it. Divine talking to us about finance. It's her thing. Mm-hmm. She gets it. She knows it. I'm just like, I don't know if I have the interest level that you do and I see that you need something, a strong interest. But in, shouldn't we all? Like if that's like no, our biggest should. gateway we to so, independence we so or whatever, if but, like cash mm, is the whole thing, if, we, like we were, if like 
if we spend all of our time working for this thing that's yeah. money, if mm. there's an easier way to do it, like no, of course, like that's that's sounds <laughs> logical. That sounds <laughs> logical. We just want the answer. I what don't like, know the easy way. It's so logical, right? But I think yeah. there would be so many people like myself that it's like, mm-hmm. I, uh, how do yeah. you get yourself excited? So we know that it's like, how do you get yourself interested? And for you, you went back to uni and got a degree in it, but there had to have been some level of interest. Yeah. Like I think if you say to somebody, do you want to be financially secure? Mm-hmm. Everyone would say yes. Yeah. But then it's like, are you up for doing everything required and learning and understanding? A lot of people probably aren't. Yes. But then right. we still have to exist mm. and make money mm. and we want, we have dreams of, you know, travelling, all this stuff. It's like it's a hard, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, it's such a good point. Like if you're not interested probably managing a stock portfolio isn't necessarily the thing. Although, you know, there are a lot of set and forget stocks that you can invest in. Mm. So where you don't have to really be watching it, but you, you have to be very interested to be a day trader. Mm. Do you use Otherwise, Uber Eats much? Not that much. Oh, that's good. <laughs> well, I just, What's I feel that like, no, I just feel like I, 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 have a, I get a lot of Uber Eats. I feel like if I was to like every time instead of I couldn't like every time I don't have Uber Eats, I could put, Thirty bucks. Mm. What are you doing that? when you're having your Uber Eats? I'm just watching TV yeah. normally, or YouTube normally. Mm. Well, but we, I, feel, but I mean, it starts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we well, actually have so much time, right? Like, yeah. and I've got nothing on. <laughs> really, I don't have kids. I seriously have time. And for you, Jody, with th- three children, uh, have you used kids as an excuse? It sounds like you haven't, to be honest. Ever, <laughs> you were, had a cesarean. You were trying to get the business plan locked in before. I feel like a lot of people would be like, you know, tired, mm. super tired, lots of responsibility, don't have yeah. time to work on shit. What is it? What's it been in your mind around the children and business? Um, well, I think you know, my grandmother said it. I'm a workaholic, and for, <laughs> me, <laughs> um, for me, work keeps me sane. I, I hats off to women who can stay at home with their kids all day. I just would go insane. I love them, don't get me wrong, but just it's – I like the balance of being able to use just use my mind and mm. work on something that's, you know, and hopefully it's setting a good example for them as well. Um, but, again, we've created a life where the the office is a two-minute walk from our house. So, oh, we, you know, I'm home fairly early and can sit and have dinner together and still be around but also have a bit of myself where I can do some work. Uh, perspective on the future where technology, where all these things are going, specifically in Australia, are you optimistic or do you think that we're headed into some form of like dot-com-esque bubble? Oh, no, I'm an eternal optimist. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. All good. <laughs> I actually worry. feel really revealed, <laughs> uh, relieved now. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a stock portfolio, so you're fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, you know, there's so many things that are scary but also there's so many great things too and I think, you know, people having more of a voice and being, you know, there's so many more people that can really move the dial is, is really exciting and from from kids becoming entrepreneurs to people having a voice on climate change and being able to lobby and all that sort of stuff, I think we're in a, it's a really good position. Like it's a great time that we're in where we can all have some contribution over what the future looks like. And what about shifting sort of the the bias of women in tech and 
women in business. Yeah. Do you think it's heading in a good direction? I think so, yeah. There's definitely like all the support networks like SBE are, are in place that weren't before when we were when, when I started. These, it wasn't such a community in place and now there is and, again, there's a voice on it so it's being called out and, mm. and you know, once it's recognised then you can do something about it. You're talking about the importance of the founders when it comes to making an investment or the success of a startup. Who are some... Australian up-and-coming founders that you've got your eye on at the moment or that you think are doing great, great things? Um, yeah, there's a couple that have just recently graduated from our early stage program in SBE. So Susie Jones is one who um, has a company called Cinch Security and she is an expert in um, cybersecurity and has now got this um, business that is helping small businesses and she calls it Become Cyber Fit. And so... I love it because as a small business operator, it's breaking it down this huge unknown thing of cybersecurity into five-minute sessions so that every, you know, you just have five little minute chunks of it getting educated on cybersecurity, which is awesome. The, the first uh, hint to these people is take your password off your computer screen where it's yeah, on no, a sticky yeah, note. This, yeah, that's you a, know in offices where people just put their little security as the, their password. Do <laughs> no, no, yeah, you use a password manager? Do you use Do a I? password manager? No. Yeah, like, they're good. Yeah, sure. I, use, use, I started using one a while ago. It's not I don't bad. know what I'd do without it. Like, I mean, the cyber security thing is you just don't think about it, right? Like, yeah. You just log in anywhere, you spend it. It's like. <laughs> Especially yeah. for business, like if we got hacked or something. It's so annoying. I think the smaller the business, the less you actually think about cyber yeah. and safety. But the greater like, the impact can yeah. be. Well, it's like what, what could they get? It's like everything. <laughs> yeah, they get. could get everything, well, yeah. But what about if you're a business that doesn't have much and you're like, I've got nothing to get, but they can actually yeah. destroy you, well, wh it, whatever it is. Even look at like a lot of the bigger organisations that we work with now when we're sending it will be like external, like it will oh, yeah. say on their email that it's like coming from an external place because they've had people like spoofing emails, pretending to be another business as a supplier or whatever, sending an invoice, getting it paid. It's like yeah. a, it can have a huge impact on a business. Mm. Like if you accidentally With, pay an invoice that's not meant to be paid. Well, they, I was talking to, I know a guy that's, a, what is it, a black hacker? Like a black hat, black hat hacker where... Yeah. Where you he works for a bank trying to hack into the was system. Was it white hat? White hat. White, 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 yeah, white hat. So it's the good hacker. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew a, a naughty one. No. But he was saying that um, Why? The, I'd kind of be more, you know, more Straight exciting. Grade. You know, it's like yeah. more criminal. They know you're happy. They know you're happy. More, definitely more criminal. More at stake though. But like the small businesses, the ones that are a bit disjointed, that's what they're actually the easy prey mm. for people that are sending over invoices to be paid. It's like. You end up just yeah, it's it's an easy target, mm -hmm. so it needs to yeah. Anyway, yeah, good bit of cyber chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I actually like. Yeah. I, I'd like to. Is it Susie? Yeah, I'd like to meet Susie. Yeah, I'd yeah. like she to have her on the show. show. Get, yeah, is she Melbourne based? Great. Yeah, she is. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, maybe uh, she can hack into our. Oh yeah, that would actually be fun. Hack of a yeah. business. <laughs> <laughs> Take what you can, Susie. <laughs> um, uh, uh, strengths. How much? Um, how much have you thought about personal strengths? Uh, throughout your business journey, like how how well do you know what you're good at? Um, I don't haven't done that much analysis on it. Uh -huh. Have you? Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm constantly. I focus a lot on what I'm not good at. Yeah, and so it, there's a little bit. I think that we're trying to work out at the moment mm. the benefits of 
when do you focus on the bad stuff to make that better versus when do you just resource for that and just have, like if I'm not good with admin, how much time do we spend trying to get me good at admin if I can actually do all this other stuff that can afford having someone to yeah, support yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think that that's well, a it's like the term, doubling down on your strengths. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, but and when, valuing your time, exactly. Like mm. if, it, if you could double down on your strength and yeah. you create more money for yourself, then pay someone to do the stuff you're not really good at. Do you do a lot of outsourcing in your life now? Um, not that much. No, yeah. not that much. But, yeah, it's interesting. I just saw a coach for the first time today and he does all this personality stuff and what's naturally your personality and what you're naturally good at. And so we're going down this journey. So I'll, I'll be able to answer that question a lot okay. better in a few months' time. But, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. And when you dig into who you naturally are and what you're naturally interested in, then that, that's usually what your strengths are. Yeah. Well, because I feel like we spend a lot of time yeah, just trying to – because the um, – that our weaknesses are very obvious because it creates uh, resistance and friction every single day and it's the thing that we're most normally disappointed with. Mm. Um, it's, it seems easy to focus, like mm. easy to draw your attention to the weakness. And also when you're a business and you have to communicate, like when you have to be uh, interfacing with other people, when it's like you can get away with hiding your weaknesses when it's just you and you're just dealing with your own shit. But when you actually have like staff and other things and all mm. of a sudden it's like I have a choice to like pretend like this is not a thing or say, oh, actually, yeah, like I know I'm not good with email. Are you good with email? No. Okay. Neither am I. Okay. <laughs> I'm a people person. Yeah. I'd rather be out at – well, I'm, I tend to be out at meetings and with people than yeah. my email is a bit out of control. What's your, um, what's your unread – Eighty-five thousand. Sorry, what? <laughs> surely, surely that's from the days of uh, some kind of automated message from. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it brings a lot of my friends into states of anxiety when I show them. <laughs> the chances of getting inbox zero. Well, you can't. No, there's no chance. No if you, chance if you have more than eighty-five thousand, please let us know. Hi, <laughs> thedailytalkshow.com. You'll get uh, some kind of prize, yeah. maybe. So eighty-five. What, what are they? Just newsletters. Yeah, they would be. Just unsubscribed. Yeah. Well. That's a job. Because there's a whole thing called <laughs> in, uh, inbox bankruptcy. Have you heard of inbox bankruptcy? So you just archive every email and you send an email to everyone that's emailed you and say, hi, I've just declared email bankruptcy. I'm ignored. <laughs> it's so funny. So I'm ignored. Like I'm not going to write back to anything. If it's still relevant, send me another email. <laughs> It's, wow. it's, a, it's. I mean, it's obnoxious. It's so obnoxious. But I actually did. I did. You ever read Four Hour Work Week? Did yes. you get, yeah. And so I read Four Hour Work Week, and I was like a freelancer, eighteen, you know, straight out of high school. I thought I was a bit of a top dog, you know. Read Four Hour Work Week. You know, just my parents were still paying for my petrol. And, um, <laughs> but you're ready to write an yeah, ebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, yeah, I thought oh, I'm going to set up an autoresponder because I'm only going to check my emails one hour a day, you know, type of thing. Terrible when trying to build a service business. <laughs> but I ended up fucking it up and sending just an email to everyone in my contact saying, I only check my emails one hour rather than a, you know, trying <laughs> to do like a hours. rule in Apple Mail. Oh, God. Anyway, so uh, would love uh, to have you back on talking. I think there's um, so much happening in Melbourne, especially in 2020 with like it's grown so much and you've seen – from when it was this little speck um, of a community to where it is now. Mm, so it'd be yeah. great to get your input over the, over the next year. 
Love to. Thanks for coming Thanks on for the show. Me. It's the Daily Talk Show. Hi at the Daily Talk Show.com is the email. Mr. 97 will write back because we've, we've actually set him the, the challenge of 30 e- sending 30 emails a day. Right. Because he's has a lot of resistance to email <laughs> because he's 20 years old and he's never – uh, never but, had to worry. Uh, about. Never, not as much as Jody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you enjoy the show, leave us a review. Uh, otherwise, see you tomorrow, guys. See ya.